Women's Health Melbourne is a boutique, specialist fertility and women's health practice, caring for women at all life stages. We're proud to provide world-class holistic medical care, including IVF and a range of other fertility treatments. We provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our two Melbourne locations are in Fitzroy and our new state-of-the-art Caulfield practice. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can follow both Women's Health Melbourne and Dr Radia Lou on the socials. Welcome to Knocked Up, a podcast about fertility, pregnancy and women's health. I'm your host, Geordie Morrison, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Radia Liu, CREI Fertility Specialist, Gynecologist and Director of Women's Health Melbourne. Welcome, Radia. Welcome. Many people are affected by infertility, and if you know someone who might benefit from listening to our podcast, please send them the link to Knocked Up. Another way of letting people know that you're enjoying the show is by leaving a review. We'd really love a five-star rating because it helps other people find us. This is our passion project. We do it to support and empower women with evidence-based information to cut through the noise of Google and advice that some might give, being well-intentioned but not necessarily up-to-date or evidence-based. If you've got any questions you'd like us to cover, don't worry, we'll keep you anonymous. Email us at podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. Yeah, we love answering your questions. Laura Kalia a.k.a. Physio Laura, is a women's health physiotherapist with a passion for helping women during pregnancy and after birth. She is motivated to empower and educate women to understand their bodies better and make informed decisions. She believes that many of the common complaints during pregnancy and after birth could be prevented, and as such, she places a strong emphasis on a preventative approach to women's health. Laura is the creator and founder of the online program, The Pregnancy Posse, which guides women with safe exercise and evidence-based education throughout their pregnancy journey. Laura, you've trained as a physio and then gone into women's health. How did you evolve or take that path? So I, growing up, I was always fascinated with pregnancy and babies and I don't know where that came from. My mum was a midwife, um, so maybe it came from there, but I was always really interested in that. So as soon as I could specialise in women's health, I did. I was taking some aquabellies classes as a general physio and I just loved talking to pregnant women and understanding how their bodies changed and um, how birth happened and how they recovered. And it was just very organic for me then to transition into um, postgraduate studies so that I could work only with this population group. Yeah. And um, we've got a few questions that you've gotten from I don't, followers on social media that we'll cover in a moment, but um, we've got a few questions as well. And something that we talk a lot about is your health preconception and being active and fit. What about once you're pregnant? Is that staying fit during pregnancy? How do women do that? Yeah, so I think that's really important and um, I think it's a good one to cover because a lot of women are very nervous when they fall pregnant about what they can and can't do and, um, you know, if they were doing high-intensity training beforehand, can they continue with that? And so what I think is really important to emphasise is that staying fit during pregnancy is extremely important and staying active during pregnancy is extremely important and it's just a matter of finding appropriate exercises for pregnancy and during the different trimesters there will be different um, exercises that will agree or not agree with 
the pregnant body. Um, but I think the, the worst case scenario is when women are very active and fit before pregnancy, then they fall pregnant and they're too scared to do anything. So they stop everything completely. And, and that's a big, um, that's, it's quite scary, I think, for women just to completely stop. And on the other extreme of that scale is women who continue to do exercise that is potentially not appropriate for pregnancy. So it's just about knowing what is appropriate. So um, if you want me to delve into that, um, I can um, just quickly give an overview. Um, so the main protocol around, I don't think it's black and white. There's not a, this is great. Pilates is great for everyone during pregnancy because not everyone likes Pilates and it's not going to work for everyone. If you have pelvic pain, there might be certain exercises that don't work, for example. Um, but we know that high impact, risky activities are not appropriate during pregnancy. So um, that's that's a very easy one to for us all to agree on. But then it comes to parameters that we should be mindful of, regardless of what activity you're doing, but just being sure that our huff and puff levels are within safe realms. So um, the, the general standard is if you can talk, then that's really important. Um, if you can sing, then you can probably work a little bit harder. So um, we want to be able to talk, um, but not sing. That's that's like a really easy way for women to understand how hard they can be working because it's going to be different for everyone. And we used to use heart rate as a measure, but we came to realise that it wasn't very consistent because so many women have variable um, safe parameters with their heart rate. So now we go by huff and puff levels. So as a general rule, whatever exercise you're doing, you should be able to talk, but not sing. So if you're so huff and puff, you can't hold a conversation, you're working a little bit too hard. Um, some other guidelines to follow with pregnancy exercise is that after about 16 weeks of pregnancy, we don't recommend exercising on your back because of the weight of the, the baby on your blood vessels. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Um, and frequent changes in position can also um, wreak havoc on women's blood pressure. So if you're in an exercise class and you're standing, sitting, lying, standing, sitting, and you're moving around a lot and you're starting to feel dizzy, then it's important that you try and stick to... Um, stop. Yeah, yeah, all exactly right. So if you feel unwell, you've got incontinence, pelvic pain, back pain, doming in your tummy, um, reduced fetal movements, any of those things, uh, exactly right. It's time to stop. You mentioned pelvic pain. Yeah, well, let's talk about sex. Yes, <laughs> our favourite topic. Our favorite topic. <laughs> and the, the favourite topic of your followers and our listeners. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> a lot of women do experience sexual pain sometimes before they've had a baby and sometimes after they've had a baby. We were talking offline about vaginismus, which is when a woman has an involuntary contraction of her pelvic floor uh, that makes it impossible for her to have sex. And I find that that often does happen in women who've had some kind of negative experience, be it sexual abuse, be it because they have some organic concern like endometriosis that causes a painful sexual experience and then there's a negative cycle of some kind of involuntary mental association between sex and pain that then translates to a physical reaction where the pelvic floor contracts and that's like I say it's a vicious cycle because if you try to have sex when you're contracting your pelvic floor it's going to hurt and so it's like a kind of foregone conclusion that sex will be more painful, which then reinforces the original idea that sex is going to be painful and then the woman's frightened of trying. So how do we treat these patients? Because often I will refer them to see a pelvic physiotherapist. 
Yeah, it's a great point. The, the the cycle and the loop you get into is really hard to get out of. You have to break that cycle completely. So if a woman comes to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist with this um, problem, so whether it be true vaginismus with the involuntary contraction or whether it just be pain with sex, um, which is not necessarily always vaginismus, but like you said, the anticipation of sex is enough for your muscles to tighten and tight muscles when you're trying to open the vaginal open it's not a good combination as we know so it causes more pain and for some women they will do the grin and bear it which is a terrible option because it won't get better it's not just something that you screw up your face and go oh let's just get it over and done with because it will not help in the long term it's not pleasurable in the short term it's not good for you or your partner to be experiencing pain so what we try and do is to to stop that cycle straight away so for some women it will be abstaining from having internal sex. So we talk a lot about outer course as physiotherapists where we, we, we say, let's not worry about penetration right now because that's where your problem is. So a lot of women who might have pain with intercourse, you can touch the vulva, you can touch the labia, you can touch the inner thighs and they're completely fine. They've got no pain, um, but it's only when they try to have internal um, sex. So what we might say to them is, okay, let's have a period maybe it's four weeks, where we focus on rehab and we focus on all the tools we're going to teach you, but there's there's a hard and fast rule we're not going to have internal sex. And I think what I, I rarely give hard and fast rules as a physio because I don't think it's black and white, but why I think this works is because a lot of women, they need to be told you cannot do this right now to make sure that they don't follow through with that because otherwise we might be doing all these tips and um, treatment strategies but then maybe they're having some foreplay with their partner and they think oh what the hell we'll just we'll just do it and then they start that pain cycle again and it's like you take two steps back and so I think it's really important just to completely make sure the pelvic floor and the vaginal area is pain free for a certain amount of time so we can start a new cycle because as soon as you get pain you drop back into that old cycle and it's really hard to And I find a lot of women also find it hard to have any sort of intimacy with their partner unless they're going to have penetrative sex. Um, It's like they they find there's no point even having foreplay or massage or touching because, well, I just feel bad that I'm going to disappoint my partner because I don't want it to become sex. So I think it's really important to have that communication with your partner to say, right, for the next four weeks, doesn't matter where we, you know, how intimate we get, we are not having sex, no matter how good I feel, no matter where it takes us. I think it's really good to have like that rule. Again, always be guided by a pelvic floor physio. Don't go home now and tell your partner, we're not having sex for four weeks. Always have professional advice. But so we would often get people to start with what we call outer course. So whether that be themselves or their partners, um, just on the outside, getting to know their pelvic floor area again. So it might be massage, it might be touch, it might be looking with a mirror and getting to know that area again is really important. Um, a lot of women shut down their pelvis after birth, especially if they've had a traumatic birth or if they've had an episiotomy or tears. Um, they, so they sort of mentally shut down that area. And I think it's really good to reconnect with that area before you then go and introduce your partner to it because you can't expect for you to be having a pleasurable experience if you've mentally shut down that that's a no-go zone. So we often will get women to start with massage or just self-touch or self-pleasure if they're feeling comfortable with that, whether that be on their own or we might suggest um, equipment like a vibrator. Um, We would also get women to do lots of pelvic stretches and opening stretches, um, not just for their vaginal area, but just for their hips and their pelvis in general. A lot of women will cross their legs all the time. They never have the pelvis open. So we we try and help their tissues and their muscles become more flexible um, and more comfortable with having their hips apart and hips open. 
Um, we always would get women to start using lubricant um, because, again, after birth, it's really common to be dry in the vagina and that can be a really, quite literally, a point of friction. So um, we'd get them to start using lubricant and helping to improve their vaginal moisturisation. Um, and a lot of it is deep breathing and pelvic floor relaxation. So as a pelvic floor physio, a lot of our focus is on down training and relaxing the pelvic floor muscles. A lot of women aren't even aware that they're overactive or that they're walking around all day long with tension in these muscles. So we would give them a lot of strategies to A, tune in with where the pelvic floor is, but also then how to release these muscles and not have them. It's not good to have your pelvic floor on all day long. And, and some people think it's stronger, it's better. How can this be a bad thing? But it's just as important to relax the pelvic floor as it is to contract. Your patient with vaginismus has had their four-week break. They've been focusing on physical pleasure that's not related to penetrative sex. What do we do next? That's a great question because it's not as simple as then going straight back into intercourse either. So generally speaking, as a pelvic floor physio, we would start someone on wands, which are... It's like a babushka doll of like these long uh, wands. They are also called dilators. And so what we would start is at the smallest size and getting the woman to either insert it herself or use it with her partner and getting the vaginal walls used to a small, small wand of penetration. And if they can tolerate a size one well, you would get them to do some inserting, some massage, some circles, some different movements with that. Again, pain-free, utilising all their other strategies of relax breathing, relaxing the pelvic floor, um, all of the all of the strategies you've worked on in that first four weeks, then they would go to size two, then they would go to size three, and they would gradually work their way up. And the biggest size is meant to mimic an average size penis. So they have the confidence then that once I can tolerate that size wand, then I have the confidence that I should be able to have pain-free sex. And Obviously, we've got to keep in mind it's very clinical as opposed to when you're with your partner, that, you know, that's very pleasurable. There's a lot more blood flow to the area. The vagina is designed to expand, whereas when you're doing it yourself with a wand, you may not get that same arousal. So sometimes, um, let's say size five is the biggest. If you can get to size three or four, then that's enough confidence to be able to um, have sex with your partner again, assuming all the arousal and the blood flow um, is there. Do you give any strategy like do you ask the partner to attend these sessions so that they get some insight into what's happening or how do women translate that clinical side of using the wands or dilator therapy to delving back into trying to have sex? Yeah, that's a great question. So personally, I haven't had a lot of partners attend my sessions. I always leave it up to the woman to decide on that. I will give them the option and then it's up to them whether they feel that's a good strategy for their relationship but I always 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 encourage them to communicate what we discuss in our sessions back with their partner and and I do it for the benefit of them because I say you're not if your goal is pain-free sex that involves your partner well then you need to include your partner in this treatment as well and a lot of women are ashamed or embarrassed to um, include their partner in it but I actually think it and I've not been in this situation myself, but I actually think it's really helpful for the partner to understand what's going on with the pelvic floor and the muscles because I think a lot of the time the partner can take it on as there's something wrong with me or I'm not arousing my partner like I used to or that they take it on as their own um you know their own problem as well so I think if you can explain it to them in a clinical way that 
it's a muscular problem or it's a sensitivity issue and these are the reasons why it's happening and this is the strategy to get us back to what we both want to achieve, assuming that it's a common goal, then it's really helpful to have both people on the same page and on board. So whether that means they come to a session, whether that means we take a, a pamphlet home or give them a book to read so they understand the condition a lot more, but I find that communication is key, definitely. And just for anyone in our audience who is suffering vaginismus and really wants to have a baby because sex is for procreation but it's also for pleasure and relationships Uh, and for some people it's really really important to be able to achieve that sexual intimacy. I've seen other couples who want that as their long-term goal but for their short-term goal is that they would really like to start a family and you know sex is more important to some people than it is to others Uh, And just for our listeners out there, if that resonates with you and you did want to have a family, you can use assisted reproductive technologies to help you get pregnant without having sex per se. Uh, And I've helped couples like that in the past where vaginismus treatment is either daunting or just takes a long time. Uh, What would be your average time frame that you'd feel for someone who has really severe vaginismus um, who is successful at achieving penetrative sex. How long do you work with them? So hard because, as we know, everyone is so individual. But, look, if I were to give sort of an average time frame just from the clients I've seen, it's not tomorrow. So I, I'd be plucking out four to six months before you're starting to see. And we're talking severe vaginismus, so that's someone that can't insert tampons, kind of pap smears, those sorts of things. So if you're not that severe, then you might be able to achieve that in less time. But I always think it's also good to go in prepared for it to take longer than it might anyway. So we've treated some women for years to be able to maintain... um, Uh, like a pain-free zone. For some women, they might come in for three sessions over three months and then they're good to go. So everyone is very different. But I think the most important advice would be if you're thinking of starting a family in the next couple of years and you know that you're having troubles with painful sex, get on the front foot early, go and see your gynaecologist, go and see your pelvic floor physio, start to get a bit of a plan in place knowing that if we can't have sex very comfortably now or at all and we know we want to have children in the future, you might as well give yourself the benefit of time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've heard a lot this year about endometriosis. There's been, you know, some peak in your government funding and interest in, in endometriosis, but it's a condition that is so common and it is under-recognised. And one of the pitfalls of diagnosing endometriosis is it's often not visible on pelvic ultrasound. So women go to their doctor and say, hey, I'm in a lot of pain with my period or I have a lot of pain with intercourse. And, you know, kind of they're not necessarily referred on to the right people to sort that out. So if that also resonates with you or, or you've got a friend or family member who's suffering, you don't need to suffer in silence. You just need to be referred to the right help, um, be it a doctor, be it a pelvic floor physio, uh, to A, identify the problem and B, help you find an answer. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of women do feel like they have to suffer alone. And if it's not something they talk about with their friends, even though we know that endometriosis is so common, they might feel like they're the only person with it. And I've had this discussion with friends as well who have had painful sex and they know I'm a pelvic floor physio, but they've never thought to to be open with it. But I agree if there's pelvic floor physios, there's gynecologists, there's sexual counsellors, psychologists, there's so many people out there qualified to deal with this. You definitely don't have to suffer alone. I think it's also in the past 
been a bit of a taboo topic that people don't want to talk about. Mm. And culturally, for some elements of our community, it's still a taboo topic. Correct. So there are there are elements of our community, like for example, um, where they wouldn't talk in, say, for example, cultural groups. Like I've treated quite a few women from Southeast Asia and India um, who wouldn't openly talk about sex with their friends, mm. so they wouldn't know that their experience necessarily wasn't normal. Correct. And that's why I think something like this podcast is so important because so many women will listen and go, ah, that's not normal. Yeah. <laughs> I can do something There's about so that. There's so much help available to me. <laughs> I just had to ask. Correct, <laughs> yeah. Sex can be pleasurable. Yes, it doesn't have to be a grin and bear it, screwed up face sort of situation. I probably find amongst my clients um, the harder thing to talk about is a lot of people think, only know of sex as internal sex. And so when you talk about masturbation or arousal or foreplay, they go, what do you mean? Like, I thought you just, your partner enters you and you have sex and that's how it goes. I think that is particular with heterosexual couples. And I think that's what's fascinating for those of us with gay friends is that what is considered to be sex amongst our gay friends is not considered to be sex amongst heterosexual couples. Correct. But I think a lot of young girls coming through, we know there's a big issue with porn at the moment and how people are getting their sexual education. And so a lot of women um, are coming through thinking that um, sex has to look a certain way. And so I think a big part of it is educating women that sex can look however you actually want it to look. Sex is pleasure. Um, Sex does not mean internal vaginal no. it doesn't have to look like I that think anyway a lot of porn not that i've watched a lot of porn i have to say but i you think... have been married for a really long time <laughs> i think i think a lot anything. of porn is very male focused mm. like it's very male focused it doesn't i mean there's probably some fantastic lesbian porn out there but you know there's it's not really focused on the pleasure of the woman so you you've either had help or you've gotten to a point where you can have sex and you you're pregnant what about sex when you're pregnant. For people with vaginismus and also just general public, sex during pregnancy, is it fine? Yes, unless you've got any well, dispute it's, it's to that. It's generally fine for most people. There are certain groups of women during pregnancy where we'll advise them not to have intercourse, mainly if you have what's called a placenta previa, which means that the placenta of the baby is low down. Mm-hmm. And also generally I would say that if a woman's had bleeding in pregnancy, I tell her not to have sex. Uh, if a woman has, you know, a kind of premature, um, a history of premature babies and I'm worried about premature labour um, or shortening of the cervix, uh, then probably we would tell them not to have sex. Right. So there's, unless, basically the rule of thumb is unless you've had a medical reason and your doctor tell you not to have sex, you can have sex. Yeah. And I find that there's a, a big scale of what sex looks like during pregnancy in that some women, because of the extra blood flow to the pelvis, find sex to be incredible. So heightened orgasms, heightened sensations, and it feels really, really good. But then you've got the complete opposite end of the scale. If you're nauseous, if you have pelvic pain, back pain, you might find sensitivity in that area is actually uncomfortable as opposed to heightened pleasure. Um, so you can be on total opposite ends of the scale. And I think it's good for women to hear that because I think people are always comparing themselves to who they, what they think other people are doing. And so if I say, well, for a lot of women, you have heightened libido and heightened sex drive and heightened orgasm, you're going to be feeling terrible if you don't feel that way. You're going to think, what's wrong with me if I don't feel like that? But it's good to know that there's a whole range of sensations during pregnancy, um, and the extremes of both. 
Are there any positions that you recommend for women who are pregnant who might be that might be a bit more easy? Because um, you said no lying down. Well, yes, for exercise, we generally <laughs> don't recommend that. Look, I, I always say whatever feels most comfortable to you. So if something feels all of a sudden uncomfortable now that you're pregnant, then you need to play around with different positions. So often we'll advise women... We talk about position change for pain, for prolapse, things like that. So um, just thinking about if that doesn't feel right right now. So lying on your back when you're in 36 weeks pregnant, I can't imagine is going to feel really comfortable for you. So you, you might want to think about side lie or being on hands and knees. And um, sometimes certain positions will be deeper penetration that won't feel comfortable on your cervix, whereas for other women that might feel fine. So it's just it's just playing up. I think you need to be creative when you're going through the childbearing years because it doesn't mean you can't have internal sex. It just might mean it needs to be in a different position for yep. a lot of women. So, And the other thing is while women can't lie on their back flat um, for sex or exercise, um, a lot of women can use a pillow. And so that, that can help with sleep as well because a lot of women when you're heavily pregnant, it can be a bit uncomfortable to sleep and a lot of different pregnancy pillows are available and you can wedge a pillow so that you're not kind of lying flat on your on your aorta (laughs) and I find a lot of women just I'll quickly mention this because a lot of women ask me if they have a prolapse about positioning so a quick and easy way to think about that is if you have an anterior prolapse which is coming from the bladder you imagine if you're lying on your back that prolapse is going to be compressing part of that vaginal canal that can be uncomfortable so they're they're the sorts of positions where you want to be thinking, get that anterior wall out of the way. So being on all fours might be more comfortable, vice versa. If you've got a posterior prolapse or a bowel prolapse, um, being on your back is actually getting that wall out of the way. So that can be more comfortable for women. So that's also good to know um, because a lot of women are nervous to have sex when they have a prolapse. Yeah, so just defining prolapse for our listeners who might not really know. We need Um, an episode on prolapse. So yeah, look, when you do give birth vaginally, uh, there can be tearing of both the vaginal wall but also some muscle fibers underneath and there can be weakening of either the front or the back of the vaginal wall or there can be prolapse of the vaginal vault which is the top of the vagina where the uterus comes down uterine descent and usually gynecologically we would generally advise against surgical um, remedies which can be very successful in reducing prolapse but until you've completed your family because otherwise you have an operation to fix it and then you have another baby and you you undo your good work a but b your first surgery is always going to be the most effective and the longest lasting so usually we say have your family then fix your prolapse um what does a pelvic floor physio do for women in that circumstance where, where surgery's been advised to be put off they've not completed their family what, what can we do to help them through physical therapies? Yeah, that's a good point because I think a lot of people then do think that they just have to wait <clears throat> and there's so much you can do in the meantime because it can really affect women. They can't exercise without heaviness in the vagina. Like it, it can really put them into a, a low mood and they feel like their body's not their own. And so pelvic floor physio, a lot of what we would focus on is removing risk factors. So if you're constipated or if you've got a lot of heavy lifting in your day-to-day life, um, removing those or at least reducing those. Pelvic floor exercises are a huge part of what we do because that's the base of the pelvis. So if you're getting descent, heaviness, bulging, it's like the hammock underneath that lifts everything up and supports it. So whilst it's not the only thing, it's a a big part of prolapse management. Um, And then lately we're really um, utilising pessaries a lot more um, and that's probably another discussion for a whole other podcast. But essentially it's a support device that you can wear in the vagina and it can help to hold those walls up so that you can be asymptomatic 
whilst you do certain activities um, because some women won't finish their families for the next five, ten years and that's a long, long, long time to be feeling like you've got a tennis ball in the vagina um, and you can't run. You can't even go for a walk for more than half an hour. So there's some really great strategies that we can employ to get these women back to the things that they want to do um, in the meantime. And often they might even be able to avoid surgery in the long term if they've got successful results with conservative rehab. After pregnancy, um, some people find sex a bit painful. What, what could that be caused by? I think the number one factor is often vaginal dryness and it catches a lot of women out. Um, it's, I, I liken it to it's like your body's in a temporary menopausal state, your low estrogen, so the vagina walls get dry and it's like your, this is often when you're breastfeeding. Um, it's your body telling you, not a good time to conceive more children because you've got a, a dependent on you. Um, so using lubricant is a really important part of first getting back to sex after birth. That would be my number one tip. Even if you feel like you've got great self-lubrication or if you've never used lube in the past, I would always recommend it for your first attempt after birth. Yeah, and stay tuned. We're actually designing a series of lubricants at Women's Health Melbourne um, together with one of our compounding uh, pharmacy colleagues because there's just not great lubes out there no, for women. So, I agree. Um, stay tuned. If you're struggling to find the right one for you, come and have a look on our website in a few months' Ooh, time. That's exciting. <laughs> Something that we learned about you, Laura, was about the pregnancy posse. Do you want to tell us about that project? Yeah, so that's my online pregnancy program. So um, the reason I started that was I just felt really limited with how many women I could see in the clinic week by week. There's only so many women I can fit in and so many, so many hours I can work and I, I knew I wanted to get the message out further. Um, I know there's a lot of misinformation out there. A lot of women, like I said earlier, have no idea what to do with exercise once they fall pregnant, have no idea about their pelvic floor and I knew that someone needed to present this information on a wider scale. So fortunately, I have a tech-savvy husband and he yeah. helped me um, sort it all out. So it's my online program. Um, we have tailored exercise week by week throughout your pregnancy. So what you're doing at week eight versus week 36 is very different and you don't have to think about it. It takes the guesswork out of that. Lots of focus on pelvic floor, abdominal separation, back pain, managing all of that. We have a wonderful forum where women can ask their questions um, in the safe environment, knowing that... Um, They'll get a, a evidence-based answer and lots of support. Um, we do a weekly Q&A session with myself where they can access that physiotherapy information. Yeah, it's been really wonderful. So that's, yeah, sounds yeah. fabulous. Thank you. On a previous episode, we had another pelvic physio, Marg, and we did an exercise with her, which was a really basic exercise. If you're experiencing pelvic pain and you've not really thought about it and you haven't spoken to anyone about it, what, what is something we could just try at home? Yeah, so I um, I get a lot of my women to start with, before we even think about the pelvic floor, to learn diaphragmatic breathing. And the idea, well, belly breathing, we call it as well. Uh, a lot of women with pelvic pain, without even realising it, will be holding tension in their tummy, which inadvertently will also tighten their pelvic floor. So often when you suck your abs in, your pelvic floor will tighten and vice versa. If you release your abdominal muscles, you get a relaxation in your pelvic floor. So if we walk through this today, this is something for the listeners to easily do. You can be in the car, lying down, ideally in a position that is most comfortable for you where you feel like you can relax all your muscles. But if you pop your hands on your belly and take a big breath in and just notice what your tummy does, now you might notice that all that air goes into your chest, which a lot of people do, we're chest breathers. What I want you to do instead is when you breathe in, I want you to expand your belly out like a balloon. So breathe in, belly goes out. 
and exhale, belly falls back in. So you don't suck it back in, you just let it fall back in. I find this is often easiest done in lying. Breathe in, belly expands out like a big balloon, not into your chest, just belly coming out and exhale, belly falls back in. Now, if you're finding that hard to do, you're not alone. A lot of women, we will breathe up into our shoulders, up into our chest. So let's just do one more. I want you to get that air all the way down into your belly. So breathe in, expand your belly out like a big stretchy balloon. Two, three, and exhale. One, two, three. So all you want to be feeling and seeing is your belly move in and out. Inhale, belly expands, exhale, belly falls back in, not into your chest. And what you'll find as a precursor then doing pelvic floor down training is that really helps because if you're just holding everything up into your chest, you're tightening your abs when you're inhaling rather than relaxing, it's virtually impossible to get the pelvic floor to come along for the ride. So before I even start on pelvic floor down training, I'd get a woman to practice belly breathing. If you're stressed or feeling overwhelmed, that's the best thing you can do as well because it really just helps to calm your nervous system down and reset everything too. Yeah, thank you for being on our podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Where can our listeners find you? Uh, so I am on Facebook and Instagram at Physio Laura. And if you're interested in the Pregnancy Posse, it's thepregnancypossepossese.com. Thank you so much. And we'll put all of that in the show notes as well. Fabulous. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Knocked Up with Physio Laura. For more information about what we spoke about today, check the show notes. We've made quite a few references to other sources. Um, and also for general information about fertility and women's health, you can visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. To learn more about how to do a pelvic floor exercise, you can also go back to our previous episode with Margaret Sherburn. By subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star review, it really helps others find us. Our mission is to empower women seeking real, honest and accurate fertility advice, and we appreciate your help. Follow us on the socials at Women's Health Melbourne and at Dr. Raylia Lou. And we'll be back soon. <laughs>